Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. All right, let's go. John 21. John 21. Yesterday morning, I was worshiping the Lord. I was going to preach on another passage and God went, John 21, I began to read and boom, it, it just ignited something within me and um, I really felt that I needed to just share a few thoughts and things that came out of this for me. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 22. A uh, little bit of reading, but it's important. In verse 1, John 21, the last chapter of the Gospel of John, it says this, After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I've had enough, going back to the nets, going back to the boats. Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything. Let's go back to where we started. And they said to him, yep, I agree. We're gonna go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered Him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Hang on a second, Jesus, we are professional fishermen. It's only a few metres from the left to the right. But they did it anyway at His words, so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That tells me one word from Jesus can change your life from barrenness to fruitfulness. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, John is writing that about himself, by the way, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, He put on his outer garment for apparently he was naked as a jaybird. He stripped for work. That's what they did back then. And he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. There's no significance about 153. There's not 153 apostles and 153 only. There's not 153 that just enter into heaven. It's just a number. People are like, what number is that? No, no, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a number. That's what it's just telling us how many were there. And although there were as many, so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have brekkie. Now, none of the disciples dared ask Him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, begins an intimate conversation, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Just give me some more mic, please. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? In other words, get your nose out of someone else's business. Stop worrying about another person's lane, journey, ministry, and just get focused on what God's called you to do. Sometimes we're too busy worrying about others' followership of Jesus and not paying attention to our own. He says if, if he remains, he wasn't saying John was going to live forever. They thought that. He was just saying, what's it to you? Follow me. Some of us get concerned and consumed and worried about, you know, what is that person going to say? What's going to happen there? What's going to... no, Jesus is just saying to you, get on with the business of following me, of following him. He'll take care of the rest. I want to speak to you tonight on this idea, did you learn to love well? Did you learn to love well? It was on the 8th of August in 1975, Bob Jones, a great prophet, he died and he went to heaven. True story. And when he went to heaven, he had an encounter with Jesus. I, I, I need more microphone for my voice, please. Thank you. Um, he, when he gets to heaven, the one question that Jesus was asking everybody was simply this. Did you learn to love well? Yeah. It wasn't how many people did you disciple? How many churches did you plant? How much money did you raise for the kingdom? It was simply this. Did you learn to love well? Matthew 7, 22, Jesus said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your Name? Did we not cast out devils in Your Name? Did we not do mighty miracles in Your Name? And I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew You. God is not talking about here, Jesus is not talking about a head cognitive, cerebral knowledge of God. He's talking about an intimate knowing. Is anybody awake here tonight? You are not going to truly get to know who Jesus is apart from a revelation of love. Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? And He responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. The second is like it, love your neighbour as you love yourself. In other words, the goal of life is to love well. 
And as we come into a deeper revelation of the Father's love for us and our love for the Father, so too our horizontal relationships begin to take on a greater health and and grace about them. And we can always tie tension and stress in horizontal relationships back to a missing piece of the fullness of revelation of God's love for us and our love for Him. Now, we live in a culture that echoes the cry of the human heart for love. And the culture's often best response and best efforts is, you know, of the top 100 songs on iTunes, over 90% speak to this idea of, in Greek, is eros love or romantic love. And so the culture's understanding of love doesn't really deepen beyond the emotional feelings of a fleeting moment. But in 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says God is love. Okay, you're gonna hear people say in our culture, well, love is love after all. No, 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 God is love. So if God is love, He defines what it is. He defines its nature. He He defines its tonality. He defines its nuances, its distinctiveness. He is the perfect picture of love. And there are several Greek words for love in the New Testament. Here's four of them. Firstly, you've just heard one. Eros speaks of romantic love. Two, phileo, friendly or brotherly love. So love between friends or brothers, uh, uh, sisters. Uh, Three is storge, which is family love. And then the fourth is agape. It's God's divine sacrificial love. Now in Ephesians 3.17, it says we are to be rooted and grounded in agape love, which means that our whole lives is to be firmly fixed and planted in God's ultimate self-sacrificing love. And out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, John's Gospel gives us the greatest revelation into God's love for us through the person of Jesus. And one of the reasons for that is, is because John had the the greatest depth of revelation into love, Jesus' love for him and his love for Jesus out of any of the apostles. And when you've received love and you have encountered the reality of God's agape love, it scripts something on your heart. It forms something in you that actually now gives you a message, gives you something to write about, John, gives you an authority to be able to speak into. Over the last few weeks, the Lord said to me, I want you to read the Gospel of John three times because I wanna take uh, your revelation of love deeper. And you get to the end of John uh, Gospel and in John 21, He delivers a masterclass on what does it look like to actually love Jesus and to receive of His love. The chapter begins with the third appearance of Jesus to the disciples and Peter and his disciples have gone back to a former way of life. When you and I don't have a vision for our future, we will retreat to a former way of life trying to get the same result that we used to get, but you can't get because Jesus doesn't ask you to go back. 
He asks you to go forward. And when you retreat to the arm of the flesh, it will always result in barrenness and a lack of fruit in your life. So they're like, stuff this. We're not getting anywhere. I don't know where Jesus is. He's just appearing and disappearing and through locked doors and, you know, walking through walls. I don't know what's going on. I'm going fishing. Typical Aussie bloke's response. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Okay, well, let's see how that works for you, Peter. And he goes and it says, they're professional fishermen. This was their business. He knows what to do. He knows where the bait is supposed to go and he knows the lines are supposed, he's fished in this sea all of his life. He knows what he's doing and all night he toils nothing. And he learned John 15, 5, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. That doesn't mean you can't do something. It means if you wanna produce eternal spiritual fruit, you can't do it apart from Him. And then Jesus shows up and He says to them in verse five and six, how you boys going? Doesn't look like you're doing too well. Jesus is prophetic. He knows they haven't caught fish. He's having fun with them. You caught any fish? No. He said, huh, throw your net over the other side. Jesus, thank you, or whoever you are, stranger, because we don't recognise you yet. We are professionals. We know how the service is supposed to work. We know how the business is supposed to run. We know how the worship set is supposed to go. We know how to produce a sermon. We know how to take up an altar call. We know how to run the church, Jesus. Don't tell us where to put the fishing net. But apparently they got to a point where they're like, you know what? Well, nothing else is working. Let's follow His Word. And all it took was one word from Jesus for them to throw their nets in the same body of water that they had been fishing in and they hauled so much fish in that it could only be supernatural and miraculous. And the interesting thing is the only person who recognised who Jesus was, was the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm gonna say to you today, it's love for Jesus that actually obeys His Lordship even when it doesn't make natural sense. If Isaiah 55, 8 is true, God's thoughts aren't our thoughts, His ways aren't our ways, then there's going to be times that God is going to ask you to do things that don't make sense to your flesh. And it is the height of arrogance for you and I to assume, well, if I don't understand it, I'm not doing it. How many of us think maybe God has just a few more eternal chromosomes and a few thoughts in His head that is beyond anything that you and I have ever experienced before? Before we were, He was. After we're gone, He still will be. He's timeless. He operates out of the time and space continuum. He has, He is the epitome of perfection. He's the personification of heaven itself. He knows what's in the heart of man. He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows how you're probably going to respond. And He says, you know what? I know it doesn't make sense to your natural mind, but I'm actually going to ask you to trust my Word. Trust my heart on this. 
Like when God said to me, resign the police force many years ago when we just got married and we had no money and we needed money. Resign the police force and go to Bible college. But God, it doesn't make sense. And I had family members and I had people telling me, you shouldn't do it. It's not God. But the Lord said, throw your net over the other side. I am so glad I heard the Word. I'm so glad I obeyed the Word. I'm so glad that I didn't just simply go with my understanding. There are times when, like when God said, move your family into a Bible college dormitory. But God, that I don't want to do that. And I fought the Lord for two years. I remember running down the road when He said that to me. And I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' Name. No, we want to upsize to upsize, not downsize to upsize. What is this? We're in Australia for goodness sake. We, we got faith to believe for this. Well, apparently God wasn't changing His mind. And so for two years, I resisted it and everything I tried in the arm of the flesh didn't work. I guess we're going to Bible college. So we moved the family into Bible college. Little did I know for two years, God transitioned my entire life in that little dormitory room. Everything about my world, everything about my ministry. He took me from a church plan to the nations in two years. Literally, actually, didn't even take two years. My first itinerant gig was overseas and I never looked back. Like when God said, this is your last year at your church plant. And now I want you to hand it to your spiritual son. But God, I thought you told me to plant this. Yes, I did. But now I'm telling you to let it go. And, and I, but, but God, this is my whole future. I mean, this is the vision. This is the dream. This is my financial future. Hello? Let it go. I came back. I said to Sim, this is what the Lord said. She said, I know He told me 12 months ago. I've been waiting for you. I'm a slow on the uptake, but I'm worth waiting on. Like when God said to Joshua, as they're facing Jericho, march around Jericho for seven days. On the seventh day, march around in silence. And then on the final lap, shout and blow trumpets. The walls are going to come down. Do you realise how insane that sounds? It doesn't make sense to your natural mind. You can't lean on your own understanding. You can't think you're going to bring about a military victory because you shout at some walls. That's stupidity. But, but his thoughts aren't your thoughts. And his ways aren't your ways. Like when God said to Moses, you need some water for Israel. This is how you're going to do it. Speak to the rock. What do you mean speak? No, 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 like whisper sweet nothings to it. Come on, water. Speak to the rock. A rock is a rock. It doesn't make natural sense. But if he said, throw your net over the other side, don't lean on your own understanding, speak to the rock. And here is Jesus, literally the Word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he says to the disciples, they're barren, they're lifeless, they're fruitless. Boys, I know it doesn't make sense. Just throw your net over the other side. Love for Jesus obeys his lordship even when it doesn't make sense. 
And the only way that you're going to fully discover and embrace the fullness of God's love for you is sometimes learning through practical experience of how faithful He is, of how awesome and wonderful and amazing He is. But here's the deal. It's really difficult to obey if you don't know Him. People wonder why they struggle to obey God. It's because they don't really know His love. They've never received it or they've received a little morsel of it. But until your heart has been perfected by love, you will withhold your full obedience to Him. Only a revelation of God's love can accurately recognise Jesus for who He is. Verse 7, the Bible says, That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. I love this. John could recognise Jesus for two primary reasons. Number one, he'd experienced the love of Jesus. He had rested on his chest at the Last Supper. He'd spent time with him. He'd overheard conversations. He come to not just recognise the authority of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the power of Jesus, but the heart of Jesus. He experienced it. And secondly, he recognised Jesus because of the abundance of his goodness and his love in the miracle. He saw all the fish and went, that could only be Jesus. Because Jesus said, I have come that you may have life, life in all of its abundance, life in all of its fullness. I tell you, God wants to bless you. God wants to pour more out for you than you could possibly imagine or comprehend. He can do exceeding and abundant above all that you could ever ask, think or imagine. What He's wanting, what He's looking for is for us to come into such a depth of a revelation of His love that we lay it all on the line, trust Him with all of our heart, not lean on our own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all of our ways. And there is nothing that He will withhold from you, only that which will harm you. Every single one of us will have a distorted view of God until you've been perfected by His love. And here's how we often view God. Whatever your father wound is, that will shape your view of our Heavenly Father. So if your father wound in your family of origin is of absentee, distance, that will often shape your view of God. If your father wound is one of rejection, putting down, constant criticism, uh, always pointing out your flaws, that will be the, the, the wound that shapes your view of God. If you maybe had a father that judged everything, it's all about performance orientation, whatever it may be, and our fathers, as wonderful or as not wonderful they may have been, they're only fathering you out of their revelation. And often their father wound distorts their view of who God is. And then that reproduces in multiple generations. So whatever your father wound is, if you don't allow the love of God to heal your heart, transform your heart, you will judge God and view God based upon that lack. 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears hasn't been perfected in love. What, what is God's love for us like? Romans 5, 8 says this, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, undeserving of grace, undeserving of forgiveness, undeserving of eternal life, Christ died for us. No man, Jesus said, no person has greater love than this, that they laid down their life for their friends. God's love for you is unconditional. It's holy. It's sacrificial. It is abundant. In fact, in James 4, 5, it says that God yearns jealously over the spirit that He has put in you. Now, we often look at jealousy as like a negative thing and and outside of Christ, it can be a really destructive force and can ruin your life. The Bible talks about in James where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there you'll find disorder in every vile practice. We're not talking about that type of jealousy. We're talking about a love that is so fierce that that which God has given to you, that which God has entrusted to you, He is watching over it in your life. Song of Solomon 8.6 says, For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. You know, ignorantly, to be honest with you, in my subconscious mind, I would hear messages on God's love and not realise, but subconsciously, I would treat it as a lightweight doctrine. A lot of sort of highly energised, high powered, type A, achieving type people, leaders, preachers, ministers in the body of Christ probably struggle to some degree with the same thing. Because it's about the end game. It's about the outcome. It's about the result. It's about the vital stat. It's about the hill, that, the next hill that we're going to take. No, it's not. Not according to the greatest revelator apart from Jesus, the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he said, So now faith, hope and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. He said you can even sacrifice a whole bunch of stuff under the banner of spirituality, but if you don't have love, it amounts to zero on God's scorecard. You, 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 can, you can have faith that moves mountains. You can have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries. You can even give away everything you have and even die as a martyr, give up your body to be burned. But if you don't do it from a heart of love, it amounts to zero in eternity. I would suggest to you that the doctrine of God's love, the reality of it is not a lightweight doctrine. It's one of the most fundamental, significant and important realities that you and I need to lay hold of. You see, loving Jesus requires surrendering all other loves to His Lordship in your life. In verse 15, we see this amazing encounter between Jesus and Peter. They'd finished breakfast and Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. That's an interesting phrase. Lots of scholars, theologians debate what loving Jesus more than these actually means. Whether it's, do you love me more than your profession, going back to what you once did, or do you love me more than 
uh, other people. Whether, do you love me more than these other disciples and apostles? It really doesn't matter. It basically means all other loves have to be surrendered to the one love, the first love that we were singing about on this platform just a little bit earlier. That you are my first love, that there is no one else apart from you. Love for Jesus requires surrendering everything. Jesus repeats the question three times. It's like, Jesus, didn't you hear the first time? No, he was ministering to Peter. Peter had denied Christ three times. So he's coming to Peter and he's ministering restoration to Peter's relationship with Jesus. He's saying, Peter, I know what you did. I even prophesied it. But I'm coming to you around a table of mercy and grace. I laid, I spread out a table for you. I even got you and blessed you with a supernatural haul of fish. And now I want to restore our relationship. I know you wept. I know you felt shame. I know you feel condemnation. I know you feel like heaped up guilt because of what you've done. But I want you to know, I love you. And I want to know, do you agape me? Do you love me with the same sacrificial love that I just extended to you on the cross? And Peter answers, I phileo love you. I brotherly love you. I friendly love you. Okay, we'll, we'll begin that. We'll begin where your revelation of love is at. Great word, Corey. Great word. He doesn't expect it here. He knows where you're at. Come on. And he goes, I'm going to take you on the journey. Okay, you phileo love me. All right, then feed my sheep. So he not only affirms and restores his relationship, he's now restoring his ministry call. Because unless your relationship with Jesus is restored into a place of health, how can you minister to anybody else? Because out of your heart flow the springs and the issues of life. He asks again, do you agape me, Peter? Speaking to the second denial. I phileo love you. Okay, we're still at brotherly. We're still at family. Okay. Tend my sheep. Tend my lambs, feed my lambs. He comes back a third time and now he comes to Peter's level and says, do you phileo love me? That's what it says in the Greek. Peter goes, I agape love you. Oh, Jesus is so good. He calls us higher and then meets us where we're at. And then in a revelation of love, Peter's like, I sacrificially love you and all is restored. All is made new. And Peter goes on on the day of Pentecost to preach the first sermon that saw 3,000 souls come into the Kingdom of God. He was the Apostle of Faith who led with James and John the church in Jerusalem. And he loved Jesus so much that even when they turned him upside down and he martyred, got martyred on a cross upside down, he loved Jesus so much that he was willing to lay it all down in agape love for Him. 
Jesus tells him, your love for me is going to be so strong from a place of denial will come such a place of a heart of sacrificial love that you will follow me even unto death. Come on, man. So if the wounds of our hearts are going to be healed, this is so important. God's love must be experienced, not just understood. Look at with me at verse 20. It says, Peter turned. So this is what I love about Peter. He has all of these breakthroughs and revelations. And then it's almost like two steps forward, one step back. He's just like you and I. Yeah. He's impulsive, foot in mouth disease. And he's like, wow, I'm restored. Then he gets to verse 20. We've still got a bit of work to do, Pete. Pistol Pete. And in verse 20, it says this. And he turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who also had leaned back against him. Why did they include that in the text? Who cares? Well, God cares because it's important. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? You see, The reason that John the Beloved could write the disciple whom Jesus loved over and over and over again, it's because he experienced Jesus' love. He didn't just understand it cognitively. It wasn't a head knowledge love. It was in his heart. Ephesians 3.19 says, We are to know the love, listen to this, that surpasses knowledge. How on earth do you know the love that surpasses knowledge? Two things, experience and trust. Experience and trust. Experience and trust. Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. What's taste? Experience. We had a meal yesterday at Chin Chin's in Flinders Lane. I had an experience. Who loves food here? The rest of you are liars. I was in that place and they brought out those dishes and they brought out a few lovely drinks that shall remain nameless. And and, and I I sipped that thing and I went, "Mm, I just experienced something right there. Order another one. I just experienced. Taste and see. Taste is about experience. See is about perception. You'll never see Jesus clearly until you experience His love deeply. You will never. You can talk about love as if you are a professor of it, but until you experience it, you will not be able to articulate it. You will not be able to fully embrace it. It's not only possible to trust God with all your heart, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, but it can only, it is only possible when it's birthed out of a revelation of love. Why would I trust a God I don't love? Because He said, no. Because I've experienced Him and now I can trust Him. And now I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Yeah. He knows better than me. And I've learned he's faithful to his word. Yeah. My word shall not return void. 
it shall accomplish everything that I've called it to perform. Okay, all right, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to surrender my understanding. Do you know, we struggle to believe that because we've believed two lies. The first one is we can only experience what we can understand. The second is if we can explain it, then we can understand it. It is the height of arrogance, of Western secularism and self-centeredness in the human heart that says, if I don't understand it, I'm not believing it. Well, you are destined for a miserable life. Absolutely miserable. Talk to any person who has fallen in love. They can't explain it but they've experienced it. And if you have to understand love before you experience it, you're never gonna be in love. You're removing one of the greatest joys in life. I don't know, I don't understand it, but it's real. That's the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you. I don't understand everything, but you're real God. You're real, Jesus. Nothing else. It doesn't all make sense to me, but I've come to experience you and to see and to perceive. And now I'm going to trust you. Knowledge without experience is an inferior reality. I met people that can articulate all the doctrines of the Christian faith and can't cast out a demon. I met people who can teach, educate you and the foundations of the Christian faith, but don't know how to hear the voice of God. I'm not saying it's one or the other. I'm saying, why can't one lead to both? In fact, one should lead to both. A good theology is not just one you can articulate. It actually leads you into experience of God, into an application. The Bible is not an end in itself. It's a means for you to encounter the author of the book. It's the only book when you read it and study it with a heart and a hunger for love that the author shows up and reveals himself in it. You read any other book, the author's not showing up. It's separate to them. They may have written some things down long ago, but it's separate to them. No, this is, the Word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Because the Spirit of God, the Spirit, the fruit of love is dripping all over its pages. I don't want to simply know stuff about God. I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. So what does Paul say? Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the highest upward call of God in Christ Jesus? To know Him and be in love with Him. That's the goal. That's the end game. Life in the kingdom is about relationships. That's why we're, we're building a family here, not a corporation or a company. We're not interested. I don't care. I'm not looking at the vital stats every week and my emotional well-being is dependent on them. I'm actually here going, God, were you here today? 
were people, did people encounter you today? Am I falling more in love with you because of what happened here today? Were people's hearts drawn closer to you? What if every church on the planet had that as their one thing, their goal? That we loved you well, that we ministered unto you. Something tells me a lot of the cares and concerns that we worry about in the kingdom and in church life will take care of itself. Because one encounter with the love of Jesus, one encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit changes and transforms the hardest heart and brings them closer to Him. You know, to be honest, it was a cold slap in my face when the Holy Spirit said to me, Son, Discipline has fueled your love rather than my love fueling your discipline. He said to me, let your pursuit of me be birthed out of your delight in me. He said, discipline serve as facilitators of delight. You discipline yourself because you love, not because you love discipline. And I realised, at times, I struggled to just enjoy Him. I'm going to make something happen. So you tie yourself out and speak in tongues for three hours and it's, you know it's helping and working, but it's like white knuckling your way to eternity. And it just like, boom, it went off in me and I went, I can actually enjoy you. You can enjoy me. And we minister to you and you always minister back to us when we minister to you. And the penny dropped and I realised that for many believers, many people, they do this Christian life. They follow Jesus out of duty. Well, this is what's expected of me. This is what I should do. I've got to have my devotions because, you know, I've got to be close to the Lord. No, I've got to be close to you because I love you. I want to be closer to you because of you, you love me. And because of that, these things that are simply mechanisms, tools, facilitators, I might do that one that day and that one that day, but the point isn't the tool, the discipline. The point is the delight. The point is Him. You see, I believe knowing God's love is the key to living in the fullness of God. It's not just more power. It's not just more anointing. In fact, I find the greatest lovers of Jesus actually have the most anointing. You get around someone that really loves Jesus, you can feel the anointing just get in their atmosphere. It rubs off on you. And what you walk away with, what you're impressed with is not the external power dynamics. It's this genuine love for His presence. Oh God, would you burn this into our hearts today? Ephesians 3.19 says, Why do we need to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? I'll tell you why. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. And where love is an optional extra versus the priority there will be sickness in your soul. All of life's dysfunctions find their root in a lack of God's love. I love this quote. The root cause of all demonic activity is the absence of God's love. 
Blaise Pascal said this, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God's love made known through Jesus Christ. And so how on earth are we ever gonna love our neighbour as we love ourselves if we, first of all, haven't been perfected by His love? Really good. What did Paul say? I want you to know the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of God's love for you. See, many people are okay with God's love working through them, but not God's love working in them. God, I want you to use me. Use me to minister to this person. Use me on my job. Use me here, there and everywhere. But then God goes, I I, I get that, but I want my love to work in you. You see, before you walk in the call of God, you're called to God. So, so, so you can give everything away. You can even be a martyr for Jesus. There are more martyrs for Jesus on this planet right now than ever in human history. You can go lay your life down. But if it's, if it's not fueled by love, it's, you've wasted it. And so many people have got like a PhD in self-hatred. And they wonder why they can't receive of God's love. They don't feel love. It's like one time God gave me this vision years ago of a horse and a carriage and the driver on the carriage. And I was the driver on the carriage with a whip and I was the horse. My face was on the, 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 the head of the horse. And he goes, son, you're, just, you're the driver and the horse and you're just whipping yourself. He said, son, like, I, I, I want to teach you a different way. And so many of us are like that driver on the horse and carriage and we whip ourselves because we've not been perfected by love. I'm not saying that you just stop life, sit in your spiritual jacuzzi and just bask in the love of Jesus for the rest of your life. If that's your calling, lay hands on me. That sounds awesome. But that, 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 Harris, no, God wanted His church to do stuff. That's right. But He didn't want them to do it, divorced from a revelation of His love. That's right. He didn't want us to do it separated from His power. And when God's love is filtered through performance, right, You only feel His love when you do well. And when you don't do well, you don't feel His love. But God loves you beyond your ability to perform for Him. Because when you were dead in iniquity and you couldn't save yourself and there was nothing holy and righteous about you, He did everything necessary on the cross to heal you, restore you and show you that once and for all eternity, God loves you. God loves you. He's madly in love with you. If you're the only person, He'd do it all just for you. You can't do anything to make Him love you more. You can't do anything to make Him love you less. He loves you. There's things like faith that can please His heart. 
There's obedience that, that can see more of His favour and grace or more of His favour at work in your life, but His grace is sufficient for you. His love's always there. What He's wanting, what He's looking for is that we would open up our hearts to Him and allow His, work, His love not just to work through us, but work in us. And to the degree God's love works in you, you will be able to answer the question. One day when you stand before Him, did you learn to love well? Did you learn to love well? I received a prophecy from someone in the life of the church recently that said, and they didn't know that I was thinking about this message. And they said, you know, where Bob Jones left off, because eventually he did die and go to heaven. He said, I believe the Lord is raising you in this church up to continue the mandate and mission of showing to the body of Christ what it looks like to love well. What it looks like to live in a revelation of first love. And the message that has begun from the beginning of this outpouring has been returned to your first love. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church. Thank you.